Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts, Christofferson. Christofferson wearing a hat. Charleston River Dogs hat. We're not supposed to talk about hats, so I was told on Twitter by a few people they were really bored Here, last week. Really? Here's a hat conversation that we're going to have real quickly. The uh, 50th anniversary of the Omaha Storm Chasers slash Royals slash Golden Spikes is this year. Uh, in June, they're giving away a... They're, they're going to be wearing Runza jerseys and a Runza hat that just has a Runza on the front of it. Mm-hmm. Would you go specifically for the hat giveaway? And B, would you then wear the hat in public? Yeah, I'd wear that hat. you wear a Runza hat? Yeah, I worked at Runza in high school. Really? So I feel like, yeah. I mean, we can't... I don't <laughs> think... I, I love high school Chris Doverson stories. This is great. <laughs> I just fit it in. Were you honorable mention in that? When team? I when I wasn't an all state quarterback, <laughs> starting point guard, I got in a shift from five day to Runza. You were studying your playbook between making orders of frings. My favorite thing about Runza, this didn't happen often, but every now and again, we would run out of Runzas, you know, for like twenty minutes, and it would just be the biggest crisis in the world, <laughs> and it. It's kind of like the ESPN skit where with Y2K where Charlie Steiner yeah. was like, lead me to follow, follow me to freedom. Mm-hmm. It would be kind of like that in the Runza kitchen for that like 15 to 20 minutes. How do you, what do you run out of? The filling or like? They just, somebody wouldn't, they were, they were there, but they weren't in the, someone had not stocked up enough in the oven. Gotcha. And so they were cooking and. I was usually the guy on the speaker who had to explain it and then get some snarky remark from some middle-aged guy on the other end, some, some, which would now be me doing that. Wow. No, I didn't see this I going didn't, the way I that didn't I did. Either. But yeah, I'd wear the hat. You'd wear the hat? <laughs> I would wear the hat, too. I like. I don't know if I want to go to the game to get the hat. I kind of just want to buy it. part of the deal, I think. Yeah. I, I want to buy the hat and just wear it around. I. It's a hilarious looking hat to me. I mean, imagine wearing that anywhere outside of the state. Like, people were just giving me, what the? What is, you got a hot pocket hat? Like, what is going on here? It, it looks from the, the grainy photo that I saw to be a cheese runza, too. So, is there, can you see the cabbage? There's in like it? a, you can't see the cabbage. It's like a, like a layer of ground beef with like a little, like, what appears to be cheese. Do you, so. do you guys get cheese or original? Uh, I was always a big fan of the Swiss cheese and mushroom. Yeah, I, I get that too a lot. Cheese runs a yeah. Generally. I would never get the original. I was in I the car something. one time with a, I guess now member of the Nebraska media, uh, when they went through a runs a drive through and they didn't appreciate the ratio of onion rings to French fries that they received in their frings, mm. and it became kind of a thing like. Got into looked it a in little the, bit. Looked in the bag, like kind of tapped on the the drive-through window again, and demanded more onion rings. Maybe you can um, answer this, Brian, because you're now our inside source for all things Runza. I worked there three years. So <laughs> it's, it's a good source. Yeah. <laughs> when they put together the frings, was there a, a ratio that was necessary for the fries and the onion rings to fully be a fring? Okay, I'm old enough that. They didn't have the frings. I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, wow. That. You were pre-frings. Yeah, I think that came aboard like uh, wow. at the turn of the century, and I had moved on to college. I have another runs of question. <laughs> uh, when they do Temperature Tuesdays. Yeah, um, I was part of that. So <laughs> He was part of the design team. <laughs> I, I, have this, I came up with that idea. I have this theory <laughs> that 
when the temperature gets particularly low and those runzas get really cheap because back in i'm sure in your day you didn't i don't think there was a minimum purchase was there i don't remember that i don't want to speak out of turn on that so my theory is is that whenever those that takes place that you that they would kick in more cabbage and less ground beef on temperature Tuesdays mm. as a cost-cutting measure. Mm. Can you confirm that? I can't because I I was not part of making the Ronzas. So okay. I don't know. I'm sorry. I wish I knew the answer to that, although I wouldn't want to tell those secrets probably even if I did. It feels like uh, something that big Ronza would do. There was... The thing, if you guys worked in the food industry, though, what's funny is like you you would know the price if someone ordered a combination of different things there was a certain point where you could know the price right off the top of your head without even looking at the thing like how much it was like even like if they were to cheese runs a swiss a junior swiss cheese mushroom burger it could be some odd combination and you could get really good at like knowing the exact price do you still know those prices today no because they well i I mean like what they were not what they are now yeah what they were like if i just gave you two random runs of Mm. things you could just Rain man it off to me. Mm, probably not. Okay. No. Did working at Runza cause you to not want to eat at Runza for a period of time? Not really. And the, the funniest Runza story I have is that one time a guy came up in the store and the Runza, the cabbage meat was kind of red inside, which would occasionally happen. I wasn't sure why, but it wasn't bad for you or anything. Mm-hmm. And so we gave him a new Runza and we explained what the problem was. And this one was pretty good, but he came back up again and complained and I took the runza, and I looked, and I threw it against the the wall, the white wall, and it splattered, and it went down, and I and then I said, I guess it is a little red, and I I just did it as like a joke, but he took it, he took it really seriously. I was pretty close with the manager, and he thought it was funny and all this stuff, but he asked to speak to my manager because I was threw the runza against the wall. <laughs> Were you always uh, the face? Of the local Runza, like the cash <laughs> register? I was. Yeah, I, I was up front at uh, the one on uh, Maple. Is it Maple? What what, what street is that? Yeah, you were in that like Omaha Like 108th? Is there yeah, it was 108th? 108th Street. Okay. Yeah. There was a Taco Bell over there, yeah. and Godfather's uh-huh. was down the way, kind of. Yeah. If you went to Albertsons. No, anyway. Did you guys ever go to the Rockin' Runza? <laughs> did, a couple times. When, uh, you know, when Scott Frost was hired, I saw a picture floating around of Scott Frost at Rock and Roll Runza with, like, a group of, like, 15 or 20, like, elementary school age kids. Like, poor Scott Frost is probably, like, going into Rock and Roll Runza just wanting to get a, a cheese Runza and some onion rings because they probably didn't have frings back then and then just get out. But it, yeah. it was, like, picture time. Yeah. I'll, I'll just see if I can find it. It was hilarious they also had that funny drive-through do you remember they used to have a drive-through there where you would drive kind of under the i don't remember that part yeah there was you could go through a little drive-through and you would end up on that kind of alleyway that now like leads into amigos and stuff Hmm. i did not know that all right well that's all the runs of information I want to give at this time. That's, a, that's a far more than I ever <laughs> expected, and I quite frankly am excited by I'm looking what forward I to see how you segue this to something. <laughs> well, you mentioned Scott Frost, who is the coach of Nebraska football. But you know who else is coaching Nebraska football, but not as a head coach? <laughs> who, Mike? Javon DeWitt, <laughs> who talked to our very own Brian Christofferson, not about Runza, 
but about football-related topics. He did right? talk about Cuban sandwiches, though. He okay. He wishes there were a little bit more on that front here, but hmm. didn't, he wasn't over complaining about it. He just brought he it up. He could help bring a, it in. He brought it up as a joke. Um, that guy's really smart. You know, it doesn't take much to be smarter than this guy over here, but he's like... For those who can't watch on the live stream, pointed, he's he's I pointing at Mike. Mike. Yeah, he pointed at both of us. <laughs> <laughs> didn't point at himself, just saying. That's not true. I did point at myself, but he was, you know, Javon DeWitt had a chance to work in some capacity with NASA coming out of college and uh, turned it down because guy loves football. And um, the thing that stood out to me about that conversation was I, I kind of assumed that they would do special teams like they always did where they would divvy it up between about six guys except the coordinators. This guy does this thing. and Because um, a lot of staffs do it that way, and Riley's staff did too. And Javon DeWitt says, no, if they're – if they're putting that title on me, that's that's my job. And so he's he takes almost all those responsibilities. Um, but he's just he's an interesting guy too because he's such a good recruiter in Florida. And just hearing him talk about, you know, I mean, he knows all those Nebraska kids on the roster that are from Florida already because he he if you were a stud down there, he knew who you were. And I'd probably talk to the kid. And so he knows Guy Thomas, for example. And Guy Thomas has been in his room and, you know, hung out with him. And, you know, one of the things he stresses is you got to you gotta just kind of learn what these guys are about in just everyday conversation and how to communicate with them because that can help you when you start to talk to football. How does this guy translate stuff, basically? And each guy does it differently. So he's he's getting a lot out of even these meetings right now in February where they're just talking about stuff that isn't football-related. Was there – I mean, you, you also wrote about just kind of the continuation of recruiting in Florida. I mean, did he give any indication, I guess, of kind of what the, the plan is going forward down there? I get no sense – I mean, he didn't straight up say this, but – I get no sense that they are going to back off there at all because they feel those connections are so strong. Why would you? I mean, they feel like they can go into any of those high schools and they know the coaches. And not only that, we talk about knowing the high school coaches, but Javon DeWitt talks about like knowing the peewee coaches, you know, and, and these guys who coach these players in Pop Warner, they form relationships with them that last through their high school and college careers, a lot of them. Some of them are mentors to these kids. And so those are the guys who are as good a sources as anybody, like on where a kid's leaning and how you connect with him and his family and stuff like that. And so I, I thought that was an interesting part, too, is just, you know, we always talk about connecting with the mom or connecting with the high school coach. But it is about those other people, you know, like the guy who leads the workouts for the, the kids that the Jimmy goes to or the Pop Warner coach. Those guys are just as important. So all those connections are so deep with, DeWitt and certain members of the staff, I I can't see. Maybe they don't have eight every class, but you got to think you can get four or five at yeah. least every time. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that Andrew Evans from our Miami site said about Javon DeWitt when I talked to him, and I talked to him about the kids out of Florida, but DeWitt specifically in his recruiting, is that he's recruited that area for so long. He's such a known entity in all of these buildings that it isn't so much, oh, it's a Nebraska coach. It's uh it's it's Javon. Yeah. Uh, I saw him, you know, three months ago during January and now it's April and he's coming back and, and he's just really well known down there and uh, it is important. I mean it's 
I don't want to say it's Dante Williams, Los Angeles, but there is sort of that idea of Javon DeWitt knows an area really well, and the people, the coaches, the parents, they all know him already. And he's one of those guys. I mean, he coached at Florida Atlantic. He coached at Army. He coached at UCF. And all that time, he'd always be in those schools, and he would get to know people. And as you kind of describe his process talking about getting to know players on the team, this is a guy that's clearly a high-level thinker and thinks about how he's going to build these relationships. And he must have a pretty good track record and understanding of it because guys like Miles Jones and Dominic Watt and some of the players that he was able to help them pull, C.J. Smith, uh, all of them speak pretty highly of, of just getting to know him and the bond that they formed with, with, uh, with DeWitt. There, one of the things about him, I think it tells everything about just how he thinks, is when he went to West Point and coached at Army for two years, and he took a journal every day and wrote stuff down about stuff he was learning about leadership and these speakers that would, you know, of course at West Point, the most high profile people in the country come through there at some point or another. And he would listen to these people and and just take notes on it. And so he's one of those guys who's always, it seems like challenging himself to, to learn more, even though he's already sharper than uh, 98% of us probably. Well, uh, another coach we haven't talked about a ton so far, but Brunch, you had an opportunity to talk with him uh, at the Rococo a few weeks ago. Mike Dawson, he's taken over for John Perella as, as defensive line coach. He's inheriting a group that has, uh, I think, a really interesting mix of, of upside potential and then um, you know guys that, that maybe underachieved a little bit even last year. What did you kind of take away from, from Coach Dawson and – and really his background, which is pretty unique in its own right, kind of hanging out in the Northeast until he was able to link up with Chip Kelly. Yeah, he's got kind of an interesting background, like you said. I mean, the, the Chip Kelly connections from their time at New Hampshire, um, you know, from there, the, there he was on the Eagles with Shenander, Greg Austin, then went along uh, to, to UCF after that uh, and kind of linked up with those guys again. He's a guy you, we didn't really, I mean, you mentioned this a couple podcasts ago, I think that, you know, we didn't really hear a lot about Mike Dawson because it seemed like he was just kind of camped out in the Northeast, uh, you know, kind of trying to get Nebraska reestablished in New Jersey and those kinds of areas uh, up in the Northeast. And I think a guy who, you know, really buys into this idea of, you know, the, the chemistry with the assistant coaches, um, you know, I think from kind of talking to a number of assistant coaches, you know, there's this belief in Scott Frost and what he does and, you know, that they really buy into the fact that, that they wanted to keep this group together uh, when they went to Nebraska. And I really got that sense from Dawson that it was kind of like, you know, of course I want to go, you know, to Nebraska. And, you know, I, I think it's always an interesting uh, thing whenever you have that, that relationship between the offensive uh line coach and the the defensive line coach it's kind of like a pitching coach and a hitting coach where they always you know even if they do get along there's always kind of that awkward tension I think and I I, it just feels like he gets along really well with uh Greg Austin and and really believes in what Shenander does so um you know he's going to inherit a group like you said that they're not going to add a ton to it I mean you got Casey Rogers and Tate Wildeman uh he's going to have to add some more pieces in the 19 class but you know, I, I think he's going to be a, a kind of a good, a good 
teacher um, for that group. And, um, you know, I think John Prell did a nice job, but I, I think Mike Dawson kind of built on that as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I really think that he can help them in the Northeast with recruiting. I think they're going to get a couple kids here in the next cycle out of that area. I don't know who yet. That maybe are going to be – and Casey Rogers might be a good example of that. Maybe somebody that we don't think of in the Super 6 kind of frame of mind but ultimately becomes a, a really helpful contributor to Nebraska. I think Rogers can absolutely do that. And I, I think that Dawson's going to be able to find some of those guys. I, I have always felt – that the Northeast, and, and it's hard sometimes, but there's there's a lot of um, unmined areas in there that, that you can get into and you can find some good players, including the prep route, which is a little bit different for Nebraska. We haven't really seen that a whole lot before. So I'll be curious to see how it goes for Mike Dawson. He, he's got kind of an interesting story, though, too. I mean, he was, you know, had been in football for 20 years and – you know, all of a sudden found himself out of a job and was planning to go back and just be an athletic director um, at a, a high school in Massachusetts. And, you know, Chip Kelly calls him again and says, hey, you know, come work with us and basically got back into coaching that way. And I, I think, you know, from talking to him, people kind of get – I think these coaches are excited about Nebraska. I think Scott Frost has told him a lot about Nebraska. But, you know, Mike Dawson seemed like one of those guys that, you know, really gets it um, and, and is, you know, pretty excited to be here and, and really experience what Nebraska is about. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mark Banker was like this, too. He was a Northeast guy from the Northeast, and you, there's such passion for sports up there. And I, I found that with Banker, he immediately connected with, like, just how crazy it is about Nebraska football. And I could see where if you lived up in that Massachusetts area where it's, you know, people are just nuts about the Bruins, Red Sox, Celtics, Pats. I mean, that, I can see where that, it just feels like you're almost at home, even though you're you're not in a way. So um, that's, that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, well, do we want to jump over to Nebraska basketball where they somehow managed to win yesterday despite not playing much better than they did on Sunday with the loss to Illinois? Uh, we can, yeah. All right, let's do it. Why did they win? How did it work? Why did they lose on Sunday? What's going on? Are they going to make the tournament? Are they going to be a five seed? Are they going to be in Dayton? Answer all my questions. Uh, Thanks. They, I believe, won last night in okay. part because you've you've got the offensive burst that you needed that, that you didn't get against Illinois. I mean, Nebraska was able to to get out and run a little bit in part because the defensive intensity was better. I mean, I, I thought against Illinois, you know, they really took a lot to get back in that game after being down so much in the first half that I think they kind of hit a wall a little bit. Uh, you had Glenn Watson making plays. Um, Evan Taylor, I thought, was great in that second half off the bench for Nebraska in both of those runs. And, you know, I, it's just one of those games in February, I think, where you just kind of have to grit through it and make a few plays, and that's what Nebraska did. I mean, it really – I think that for the last couple of games, you finally saw this team really start to buckle a little bit under the weight of what was kind of being put upon them with, you know, you got to win out. I mean, winning nine games in the Big Ten to end the season – is tough no matter how bad the Big Ten is. And, um, you know, I think Illinois was just good enough and had just enough pieces to where they could take advantage of Nebraska on an off night. Um, 
Will Nebraska make the tournament? I don't know. I think they've got to win. Two, I think they got to win two more. I mean, if it's Michigan in that four-five matchup that Nebraska looks like they're headed towards, assuming they beat Patrick Chambers and Penn State on Sunday, um, you know they have to win that Michigan game because there, there's just so much lacking in, in that resume. And you know, even though they play like a an NCAA tournament team most nights, there, there's just not a lot to kind of back that up empirically, unfortunately. So. I think you got to win at least two, and then you know you're gonna. If you win that that four or five game, you're getting a matchup probably against the the number one seed in the tournament, whoever that is. So um, it, it'll be an interesting next few days. But you gotta you gotta get it done against Penn State, who I think is a better team than what people probably realize. It'd be interesting to me. This is getting down the road, but the hypothetical of if they could win two, and then there'll be that feeling some. People want to feel like they're in, but no one will know. And you're playing Michigan State. I wonder if in that game, like if they're, let's say they just they fight Michigan State tooth and nail. It's just a you know a ball buster of a game, and you lose by six or seven points in the end. Do you think that sort of thing has an impact, even though it doesn't go down on the spreadsheet as a, a success? I mean everybody's got to be watching that game at that point that's in the committee room. It's interesting, though, because the committee would tell you that... They don't care. The, the A loss is a loss, and a close loss doesn't matter. Um, whether that's true, I don't know. That's what I wonder. The uh, committee will also tell you that it doesn't matter that Oklahoma is a steaming pile of a word that I probably shouldn't say on the program at the moment because they have quality wins in half the season. I mean, and that's... I mean, Nebraska has a, a second quadrant one win right now. Unfortunately, it was the exhibition game against Mississippi State. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, yes, like, it, it, I think it would look good to the eye test. Whether they consider that, I don't know. But, I mean, I, I don't know. Put it this way. I think if they went, let's say they play Michigan State in that game and lose by 25, I think that that hurts them regardless of, what the committee says. See, I have my suspicions about the committee because I think there's this idea that they're so computerized, it's all by the book, and no, oh, we don't we don't let the human element factor into it too much. And then I every year on the selection show I watch the matchups come up and I see these like made for T V eight one like they'll put an eight nine game where it's like you know, let's say Kansas, Kentucky, Wichita yeah, State a yeah, few years yeah, ago. Yeah, you're, you're getting a game where you know it's going to match up a good 8-1 seed on Saturday or Sunday for television purposes. Or they'll send Dana Altman back to Omaha just for the kicks of it, you know, or they'll set Nebraska in the same bracket as Creighton. And there's that little suspicious part of me that once thinks, like, if Nebraska could win two more and play well against Michigan State, the, there's people in that room who are going to be like, that'd be a pretty good, like, Dayton team, you know? Like, a team that's never won a game. It's it's like a good storyline on that Tuesday or Wednesday. And so I know that's, like, a little bit conspiracy theory part of how they operate, but I think they do operate that way. You think Bruce Rasmussen is in on the fix? I'm not going to – he is now, I guess. He might be, yeah. I thought when you took off your hat and put on the tinfoil one, it was a little yeah. over the top here. <laughs> we were wondering why you brought that over. It yeah, makes it's, sense now. It's just a box. Just, just wait. When the brackets come out, we'll look at them, and we're going to see all these little 
games like okay yeah that just worked out that way i'm sure that's what happened the question is are you <laughs> making the storylines fit the bracket or does the bracket fit the storylines mm, i i think there's many examples i'd have to go back and do some research on this but every every year you see a game you're like okay yeah yeah that's your second round matchup i get it you know we're gonna make uh roy williams play kansas or something you know and the yeah. Like it. Do, you, do you think? Okay do you think it. that Nebraska gets past Penn State? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think they do, and and the reason that I do is that they're going to be at home. Penn State's coming off of just a murderous stretch. They're going on the road. Nebraska has another day of prep, which I don't know if that helps them all that much or not. Data would say no, but they're going to be they're going to be a little bit more fresh. They're going to be at home. They're probably going to have something a little bit more to play for because I think Penn State is going to lock in Nebraska's seed. I think Penn State, I mean, we're, we're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. They play Michigan tonight. I think Penn State's going to win that game. Whoa. And I think it, it's they will come to Nebraska, and Nebraska will just catch them at the right time in the, in the slate of that. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, if that's what happens – and then Michigan still ends up as a five seed. It's probably the best scenario for Nebraska rather than having to play Penn State twice in a row. Wouldn't uh, that would eliminate likely eliminate a quadrant one win, wouldn't it, for Nebraska? Yeah, but I mean, it's you could lose that quadrant one win with Michigan doing nothing either. If a whole bunch of scenarios happen, I mean, you're you can't bank on a quadrant one win when they're sitting at what like thirty three out of the thirty five or whatever it is. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know what Nebraska fans should root for. I think you want Penn state looking strong going into that game. Um, I think that you're going to have to play both of these teams either way. And I think ultimately you got to win games. So whatever, whatever happens, you got to keep stacking W's. So, um, I don't know if it's going to be a big difference one way or the other Penn state or Michigan wins on Wednesday night. Well, I think I believe, and I'm the stats department hard at work here. Penn State's not – they don't have an, uh, the ability to get into that five seed, right? Right. And so that's why I think if they win, Michigan's locked into five, Nebraska's locked into four, Penn State's locked into seven. I don't know if you're going to get the best version of Penn State on Sunday coming on the road, last game of the year, into a place that could be worked into a frenzy. I'll be curious you know, what that atmosphere will be like uh, for the PBA. I think you want Michigan as strong as they can be. Really? Yeah, I think I think you Nebraska fans would be smart to wear as much Michigan stuff tonight and uh, against Maryland as they can. Have Michigan win out? Yeah. Just you know, rooting for John Beeline and Mo Wagner, the whole thing. Get some high black socks, baggy basketball shorts. Mo Wagner flexed the other day, and it was just was the sad. least least amount of muscle mass that you have seen on a Big Ten <laughs> center in a while. Wouldn't it, it be the something? Weirdest, but you'd sort of nod your head to it thing if uh, Michigan wins the next two, then like loses to the 12 13 seed. Yeah, and Nebraska the, uh, gets like yeah. Illinois again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For a third time. Well, Good if it helps match. them. I don't know. To me, that's not the worst case scenario either. I honestly think for Nebraska, they just have to keep stacking wins. Like, I, obviously, it looks better if it's Michigan, but at the same time, you're really going to be at twenty three and will it be twenty three and ten? 
if they were to lose that next game to Ohio or to Michigan State, you're going to be squarely on the mix for that Dayton spot, really, in my mind. You get to 23 wins, I think you have a really good opportunity to be in the NCAA tournament. How that 23 comes about, I don't know. But Gotcha. Bench well, mob, you guys pro bench mob. Should we talk bench mob? You don't know when you're wanted at the game. To, yeah, Schaefer wanted to lead with that. I think. Well, yeah. Brian, let him wear your hat for a minute. <laughs> the tinfoil one. I didn't notice the bench mob at the game on Tuesday because you don't really pay attention to it when you're at the game. Um, I didn't really notice. So you're anything. saying they're not over the top enough? Like maybe if they got a little bit more over the top. Well, they want to catch people's attention in section 212 or 213. They really need to bring it because, frankly, we don't care up there. You guys are all just dialed in on hoops action. We're and checking catching t-shirts. In. We're, we're watching the defensive switches to see if the footwork is good or if there's any extra way to to attack. So that's 213's hardcore. I don't yeah. mind it. So you got the grease board out during the drawn up plays during. A couple sections over, we've got the guy who, uh, I don't know if you can hear him over in press row, but every time the stadium starts to empty out, he's the one booing people. (laughs) He's yelling at them for leaving, and he's booing. And he wears a custom Nebraska jersey that is Nebraska on the front, 216 for the number, and the word boo on the back. (laughs) It's amazing. We all love that guy. He's a highlight of the the 200 level for me. I have a theory that Nebraska missed those was it six straight free throws to end the game last night, in part because there was so much noise from people getting up to leave the <laughs> game. Ridiculous! <laughs> like it was it was insane. I, uh, I've made peace with the fact that Nebraska fans just are I, more worried about traffic. Than I get it. Else. It's an eight eight p.m. start on a Tuesday night. It's a little bit of a challenge to get home and get up for work the next day, but the flood of people down the aisles was even more noticeable last night. I, I have a question for Brian, who uh, tweeted this yesterday. So there was there was some safety concern of people going over the rails for for Chick-fil-A. Um, I can see something happening at some point. Yeah, a guy went kind of over. He, he was... It wasn't like he almost fell, but I was, I could picture it happening. You saw it happening in your mind. Yeah, he caught the cow, though. He got it, so kudos to him. I think the it was five dollars. Yeah, it was the first free chicken sandwich. I think anyone in section two hundred nine has claimed. So it was kind of a big moment, and everybody around kind of, you know, did a polite golf clap for it. But uh, he was also the same guy that during the halftime game. Uh, with the ten-year-olds at play or whatever, he was he was calling for travel like every time, which I kind of appreciated because rules are rules. There was a lot of travels in that game. That that group last <laughs> night was not shy about hoisting up three pointers. I noticed. I was riding a little bit and kept looking up, and every time it was like a thirty-five footer. I think they shot more than Nebraska did, which is impressive because Nebraska has been shooting a lot of threes lately. Yeah, getting to the actual game, is it? Cons- sorry, we never got Brian's thoughts on the bench. Oh, bump. sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I think it's fine. Here, here's what I would say about it. Is this one of these examples? I see this all the time now where like a few people say something on social media and it, it's just a few people and we, it gets made out to be like it's this like big thing, like there's this big disagreement like over if it's good or bad or was there like legitimately like a lot of people who were ticked off about it? Um, I just based on my amateur view of things last night it seemed that the majority of people were very pro bench mob Mm -hmm. there were some that were not yeah um 
I think that's something that's happening in social media, and now media does it too, where they'll find like eight to ten opinions on Twitter that are kind of on the margins, and they'll present it in a story like, can you believe some of society thinks this way, you know? And it's like, let's just let them sit out there on the margins, as Gary Smith would I'm stealing from a lead sentence of yours. Yeah, I, I really now want a <laughs> weekly podcast feature where it's on the margins with Christopherson. <laughs> about he's social us media. About opinions that are out there that just aren't as popular as presented by Nebraska fans or in the media. I, I would listen to that, I think. Oh. I think, I, I think that could be a whole podcast and I would love it. I think people would be more willing to listen to that than the eight minutes you got of hats last week and the six and a half minutes of runs of talk you got this week. I think the runs of talk. I thought both were pretty good and stand by the hat and runs of talk. The the <laughs> revelation that you worked at runs of though, was, that was a surprise. It was a podcast surprise for yeah. sure. Um, sorry, I cut you off. You were saying about well, the game. I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, the last two teams Nebraska has played has basically said, we're going to double James Palmer as much as possible and pee any kind of way that he can get to the lane out of a half-court set. And what it has done is led to a lot of three-pointers from Nebraska that they're not cashing in on. Uh, do you see this strategy for defenses continuing throughout the rest of their, their kind of Big Ten play here? And can Nebraska overcome it? Because if you don't have guys like – if Copeland's off the way that he was last night and sort of against Illinois – they really struggle to find points. I mean, Glenn keeps chucking, not hitting at a high rate. Roby struggled a little bit last night. Anton Gill sat out most of the second half, and I think that was pretty noticeable. I mean, if you're going to double James Palmer, you need somebody to, to come up big, right? Yeah, I mean, it, Indiana's goal was to basically make Palmer earn everything he got. Um, I, I think that uh, – if you watched last night, it seemed like Glenn Watson was almost kind of getting the Benny Parker treatment. Um, Ouch. Which, you know, if Glenn can show over, you know, these next couple of games that he can make some shots, um, which he did last night. I thought he, he played pretty well last night, all things considered. Really? Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, you know, that'll help with the Palmer thing because, I mean, it was definitely – clear what they were doing but nebraska needs to go to the rim more uh that was a, a big difference i thought in the second half too in part because they were running i mean they when they can get transition baskets um you know that they, they can be pretty good there i mean that, I well, that's it, kind of the problem right like if they don't get a convert defense to offense and they're right. playing half court basketball they're right. real stagnant well that's what illinois did is they forced it into a half court game which is, is not a good recipe for Nebraska. But, I mean, they, they finished with 26 points off of turnovers last night. So um, they, they have to find a way to create that somehow. And I, I think that, you know, Palmer is going to have to, you know, learn how to score when defenses are, are really keen on him. And, you know, the last two games I thought that, they you know, both those teams have done a pretty nice job of stopping him. I think Archie Miller is one of the better coaches too. Like he doesn't have much to work with. I I didn't realize I hadn't watched a ton of Indiana this year, and then last night I was just like, man, this is not what you expect out of Indiana basketball. They had some dead legs. If yeah, like. he doesn't have that much to work with. I th- I think you got to get Indiana while you can because I think give him a couple of years and he'll recruit and they'll be a top fifteen team consistently. I think. Yeah, with what he did at Dayton, right? Yeah, like I mean it's. 
Only a matter of time. Uh, I'm not on the I'm not on the Archie Miller right. train. Why? He inherited a good program at Dayton. What he did at Dayton was get him to the Elite Eight one year, and then hang around the NIT or the early bubble burst NCAA. I think he's the guy with the same last name as Sean Miller, obviously brothers. So famous name <laughs> and and Junior Miller. Yeah. I'm not Reggie I'm not on Archie Miller. I think it's Tom Crean. All Cheryl over Miller. Here. All right, Tom Crean all over again. Yeah, we're gonna revisit this in two to three years. <laughs> Mark it down. Flag this podcast. I think a lot of people would take Tom Crean and, and his. Well, what, what I'm he's saying done. for Indiana though. Oh like they, yeah, they fired Tom Crean. Right. And Tom Crean's time at Marquette is similar to what Archie Miller did at, at Dayton, where you have one really notable tournament run, you do okay the rest of the time in a conference that wasn't, you know, now the the Atlantic Ten is pretty good. So I definitely got to give him credit there, but I I was just floored when people were going over the top about what a great hire Indiana had made with Archie Miller. So I mean, I'm wrong all the time. I mean, this could be one of those times, but he was one one thirty nine and sixty three. You feel the way about Archie Miller? I kind of feel about PJ Fleck. It sounds like. Uh, I mean, I think Archie Miller's probably better than PJ Fleck. No, no. but. We'll see. I, I just don't think that he's going to... They both talk fast. I figured that out. Oh, do they? Yeah. I, I just don't think he's going to be the guy that brings Indiana basketball back to blue blood, top-of-the-line levels. It's a tough program to do it at. The par- We could get into a whole podcast. I know yeah. we're running out of time, but we could... <laughs> I, get, I didn't know if you were going to go there, but... I we could do the whole parallels of Indiana hoops and Nebraska football some week, but it's there. Sounds like a great mid-March podcast. Yeah, yeah. Did, you, did you guys find yourself missing Tom Crean at all last night? I saw your tweet about it, and yeah. it made me laugh because I didn't get any text from you about Tom Tom Crean's glasses. So one of the things that you will never have the joy of working with Brunts and experiencing. He tweeted this at me, but go ahead. Brunts would occasionally, on just a random night in December, if he just happened to be watching the BTN, would send me weird photos of Tom Crean. Like it wouldn't even be Nebraska's playing Indiana. It could be June, and he could come across it, and I would get it sent to me. And there are so many photos. It, it, he never sent the same one twice. It's insane. There's a lot of photos out there of Tom Crean looking his, really, really weird. His obsession with Tom Crean is parallel to his obsession with Purdue Pete. If Purdue Pete yeah. and Tom Crean hung out together, it would be the greatest photo Brunts would ever see in his life. Head explodes everywhere. <laughs> I know you always made fun of his women's eyewear. They, they, they did look like they were kind of from the Gloria Vanderbilt collection. But. He also had ill-fitting suits, it felt like. Like his pants, is, he was always doing that thing where he's like, yeah. you know, hitching up his belt. I, I enjoyed the responses to that tweet last night about Tom Cream because it they ran the gamut, and it was people tweeting Tom Cream hoisting his pants up gifs. Yeah. Um, somebody agreeing with me. Somebody saying that they miss Tom Cream and Tim Miles is pure hatred for each other. Mm-hmm. Somebody saying that Tom Cream is a great coach and that Nebraska would be lucky to have him. And somebody else who DM'd me said. And I quote, you're the only effing one who misses Tom Crean. So, wow. 
That's, if, he's a polarizing guy in about 17 different ways. If Nebraska ways. ever so, hires Tom Crean, you better wipe your whole Twitter account clean. <laughs> you better just like... That was a spit take for those that can't watch on the I mean, I would just delete that bad boy and yeah. start over at zero followers yeah, and build it back up. Or, yeah, I would have to. I What I missed is you'd watch... This podcast would also disappear, <laughs> by the way. You would watch, like, last night, things would go bad, and then if it, Nebraska was playing Indiana with Tom Crean, he'd be just stomping like a three-year-old on the on the side. I mean, it was just incredible watching him pout or throw a fit on, like, the side of the court. And I'll, I'll never forget the whole, like, Walter Pitchford, Tom Crean... Tim Miles weirdness that happened that game. The the did he or did he not tell Tim Miles to shut up? Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought it was coach or team. I thought it was Crean was talking at it was Crean was talking to Pitchford and Miles told Crean not to talk to his player and then Crean told Miles to shut up. And then after in post game, somebody asked Crean if he told Tim Miles to shut up. Tom said no. After the press conference, <laughs> he doubled down and said no. <clears throat> There was video that we, showed other. We went to right? the video, and he did in fact tell Tim Miles yeah. or somebody from Nebraska's team to show up. So that's the that concludes the Tom Crean segment of the podcast. A lot of Tom Crean and Runza that I never saw coming today. We're all over the place. Well, okay. we should probably finish this up, but first, before we do that, Brunsell run through baseball. Uh, they went three and one this weekend. They lost a bullpen arm, but they won three games. It's a little good, little bad. They won three games. Uh, the best start of the Darren Ursad era. A already thin bullpen got thinner with an injury to Robbie Palkert. I think we talked about. Did we talk about Palkert last week? Um, maybe. He's a guy. On the that, broadcast, it was noted how athletic he was, but it was never told to me why. Nebraska felt that Palkert was a that kind of middle of the bullpen guy that you could throw a couple times on a weekend. It was coming off a great summer. Uh, gets on the plane to come back to Nebraska. Has some arm, some forearm tightness, which is usually the worst kind of tightness that you can have as a pitcher. Uh, Tommy John's surgery is in the offing now. Um, so Nebraska's going to have a, a tough weekend. They've got four games, two against Oregon State, who is a juggernaut of a baseball program. Um, they have a guy uh, whose OPS after the first weekend is 3.09, I believe, which uh, for those of you who are not into advanced statistics or somewhat – Advanced statistics is pretty much unheard of. Um, so it's going to be tough, and Nebraska's going to have to get four good starts from their starting pitching again and hope that they can scrape enough runs together against the Beavers and Utah Utes, who are the other two games on the weekend. Real quickly, what was the general thought process or general thoughts on how uh, Luis did in his first start for Nebraska? Uh, pretty good. Uh, nine strikeouts. Uh, I think he... The one thing that will be interesting with him is he didn't play in the field um, in the other three games on the weekend. I think Nebraska is going to be careful with that. I would I would be surprised if that happened again this weekend. I would expect that they try to get his bat in the lineup at least once, maybe on Sunday. But, um, you know, with the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think they could do that. But um, I, I think he exceeded everybody's expectations. Like I said, I mean, McSteen – um, Matt Warren and then Nate Fisher too. Um, all, all, all four of those guys pitched pretty well in the first weekend, which is a good sign, especially given uh, the bullpen, which is kind of the walking wounded right now, and they're slowly getting guys back. All right. Well, should we wrap this up? Wrap her up. We got the the wrap her up like a runza. Yep. 
I could show you how to do that next week. Yeah, that's nice. I want to have a podcast at Christopherson's house when we both bring roses and throw them against the wall before it starts. We just need a podcast where it's just like, what other random facts about you don't we know? That would be, we really do owe it to the people to do that. Yeah. To do a real hard hitting interview. I think we've covered most of the interesting ones, actually. Well, I thought we had two. Then you pulled a runza out. I don't don't know that working at Runza for three years is that interesting, but. I just don't know how you fit it in. Yeah. It's kind of like Forrest Gump of the podcast. (laughs) Just uh, something new, new anecdote, new story. Anyways, we'll find out more (laughs) next week uh, when we get together. We'll know what Nebraska's seed is for the Big Ten tournament. I'm sure we will preview that. Nebraska baseball will be coming off of four games. We'll have some more recruiting next week. I'll actually come up with topics this time instead of showing up with nothing like I did this week. So blame that one on me. And uh, we will come at you next week sometime, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, with another episode of the Nebraska 24-7 podcast.